Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath, and thanks for listening as always. Today we're taking a turn uh, back to about two years ago. Uh, nearly two years ago, I had interviewed um, the person who is our audio guy, our audio uh, magician, that all the, that he does all these things for us that are beyond me knowing, but we called him then Keto Newbie, or Keto Brian, uh, Newbie Brian, or any of those things. He's no longer a newbie, but it's interesting to talk to somebody who had this really deep experience with keto. They went back to their, their life of whatever that meant and their different activities, and now is sort of reevaluating. So today is kind of like a welcome back <laughs> Cotter, if you remember that program from, I think it was the 70s or 80s. It's more a welcome back, Brian, and to hear your stories and find out where you've been. I mean, I know, I know where you've been. We've been working each week together, but what have you been up to? And, and let's talk about some of these things you've been thinking about. Oh, I'm doing Brian, great. Doing? Um, uh, about that almost two years, I do believe that the show's birthday was uh, February 12th of this year. It marked two years exactly. Oh. So uh, we're, we're just about over the hump uh, in terms of that. And we're almost at episode 100 of the show, which is really awesome to think about. You know, that's uh, actually quite a bit of, of keto specific discussion, uh, you know, to be uh, putting out there for sure. But things have been, uh, things have been really interesting. Um, as far as what I've been up to, I, I left, I more or less left the marketing world. I, I still actually have some clients and still actually work a, quite a bit in that capacity uh, in my downtime. But uh, I, I took a turn and decided that I wanted to not work in offices anymore. So now I actually, uh, I'm outside working with my hands. I am a pool service tech. Uh, over here in uh, uh, picturesque New Jersey, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a really cool experience. Uh, you know, uh, growing in that particular industry and uh, learning uh, a lot of other things in terms of the trades. Uh, I've actually been taking some vocational training, uh, working with uh, some carpenters and uh, some masons. Thinking about uh, trying out a little bit of electric, but since the laws have changed in terms of licensure in here in New Jersey for that, it's probably going to be a moot point and I'll probably end up moving on pretty quickly. But uh, just mostly trying to expand my horizons and seeing, you know, really what uh, what's out there for me. You know, uh, of course, uh, obviously still doing audio work. That, that's been a constant in my, in my life for, geez, going on, oh, wow, um, 16 years now. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's actually been pretty cool, but yeah. yeah, Um, 
really quickly in terms of uh, where I've been and what I've been doing, um, lots of jujitsu, uh, lots of rock climbing. Uh, recently I've, uh, been backpedaling into one of my other passions. Um, I'm, I really like gaming a lot. Um, I've, I've always been a, a really big strategy game, uh, head m most of my life. And, uh, so I've been playing a lot of poker again. Um, I used to study a lot and play a lot when I was much, much younger, uh, when I thought I was, you know, the greatest guy on the planet with, uh, two cards in their hand. But, um, you know, uh, just really enjoying that. Um, and uh, it's interestingly enough, I have seen a lot of changes in terms of my level of concentration and focus since uh, going back to keto, which has been helping there tremendously, actually. So tell me about, you say going back to keto. So tell me about the, the breakaway or, or, or just the, the fading away and why are you reconsidering or did reconsider and you know, we're, we're, how is that different than it was before? You know, like I was saying before, you know, I, I do jujitsu. Uh, I train jujitsu and I rock climb. And those are two places where endurance matters. Uh, but jujitsu more specifically than, you know, rock climbing. Uh, lots of, lots of uh, burst energy demand type of, you know, movements. So I felt like my, my long endurance game, which keto was able to afford me, uh, didn't really feel like the play. I, I felt like there were a lot of people that were sort of being able to take note and exploit my tendencies in terms of what I would do when I would actually train. And that was something that concerned me a lot. Ultimately, um, you know, in my time away since going off of keto and then trying things a little differently, I realized it was just sort of like a flaw in perspective. In reality, what I needed was to change a couple of fundamental components about my game, and it really had very little at all to do with my diet. So I kind of fed myself a little bit of a fallacy cool. there where I really kind of, kind of, uh, fumbled that myself, you know, I, I kind of, that was, that was definitely an error, uh, you know, in hindsight, but, uh, when I stopped doing keto and I went back to a more, you know, conservative, you know, diet in terms of, you know, eating, uh, uh, all of the, uh, all of the varieties of earth's bounty, so to speak, uh, I ended up lifting a lot of weights during that time. I put on a lot of muscle mass. Um, I lost an incredible amount of weight as well, but I didn't really feel the same, even though, you know, I looked relatively uh, in decent shape uh, and looked like a relatively healthy person, had a lot of energy. Um, because of what I was putting my body through, I just never really felt like I ever had any serious recovery from any of the workouts that I would do. And because I would be lifting weights and then go do jujitsu and, you know, I would uh, mix and match those together multiple times a week, I really didn't have a whole lot of... Uh, you know, uh, I guess fruitful energy behind. I could keep myself awake, but that was basically the bare minimum. I was always sore. Um, I was always some level or shade of tired, and I was really getting kind of sick of that. So uh, because I had been so busy, I basically just sort of put the weightlifting down. I trained a little bit less, and I sort of went on vacation, so to speak. Um, and that's when things started to change for me in terms of like things like just simple things, focus, um, uh, level of my, my general level of, uh, irritability, you know, my trigger was much, much faster to come off. And, um, you know, these were things that of course, because you, you know, no one wants to believe that, uh, it's their fault, you know, for, for a lot of the things that are, might be happening to them. Uh, you know, I just sort of blamed it on my busy schedule, which is like, you know, very common. And, um, you know, I just sort of let that be that. 
eventually, once uh, the season got started and started working a lot more regularly, well, the working out sort of went by the wayside. And all of a sudden, I saw myself cumulatively, slowly, but cumulatively, nonetheless, putting on weight to the point where uh, I had actually swollen up, I mean, a, a well over 30 pounds uh, over the course of uh, the, the pool season. Mm. And I thought, you know, I thought my, my regular day-to-day work, you know, which would leave me sweaty and exhausted and sore every day would have been enough to cut it, but it certainly was not. My body very quickly adapted to the workload that I was putting in every day, and it was that basically became my, my couch-level energy uh, every day despite what I was doing, you know? So – uh, that was, uh, that was, uh, kind of a, a rough one for me, but, uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely know that that was more of a, uh, that was more of me easing into or resting into my laurels, so to speak, you know, but that's where, that's where okay. all of that progressive change came from. And, uh, once people started talking about keto a little bit more, you know, in, in the workplace and I could contribute a little bit to those conversations. Not too much, but just enough to keep people interested. You know, all of a sudden, I just started thinking to myself, well, hey, I mean, why am I giving this advice to people if I'm not going to take it myself? And, you know, if if I'm not going to mm-hmm. be the guy living this out, I mean, it's easy enough. Uh, I mean, what am I, what am I really doing? What benefit is it to me? You know, yes, I, I love helping people and I love seeing people that I've helped get results. That's one of those things that will never, ever go away for me. But you know, I, I felt like uh, I felt like my heart wasn't necessarily in the right place, and I think that that also addresses uh, how quiet I've actually been in the Facebook group. Um, you know, initially when I had gotten involved with uh, Keto Naturopath, I, I understood very quickly that the one of the bigger focal points of it was you know using ketogenic diet uh, for medical purpose, you know, um, or or to help with uh, you know things in people's personal medical spectrums. And one of the last things that I want to do, um, you know, I guess this is my, this is my, uh, I guess, formal apology to the people of the group uh, is that ultimately I, you know, I I didn't want to be the person chiming in and, you know, giving in my two cents if I wasn't living the lifestyle, mostly because uh, I wanted to be sensitive to that. You know, I didn't want to seem disingenuous to people in the group who uh, are, are feeling like what they're doing right now is so crucially important to them in their lives. Because, uh, you know, if I'm not living by it, who, who am I to speak to somebody who is really taking it that much more seriously than me at that given point in time? You know, outside of, outside of me, uh, you know, being a little overweight at the time, you know, I didn't necessarily have anything that was quote unquote medically wrong with me. And so I didn't want to be the hobbyist keto guy saying, oh no, well, you shouldn't eat this, you should eat that. Like, no, that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see your numbers. You know, I, I can't speak for you and I can't really speak from experience if I'm not living through it, except for telling you about a time well over a year and a half ago when that was a lifestyle that I was leading. You know, it just didn't seem, just didn't seem honest to me. So, uh, for anybody yeah. in the group who, uh, who might've been wondering, I know somebody asked, uh, I think, I think it was last week. Um, yeah. Um, that's part of the reason why I haven't really been around even outside of, you know, words of encouragement and, you know, liking and laughing at a couple posts here. Well, it's funny. I think in part that she had asked and I had talked to her, um, offline as well. And I think a number of people heard your story and it sort of represented them, uh, if on one level, sort of vicariously, they're curious, Hey, here's a guy who's starting from zero, uh, he's having a, a conversation with Dr. Goldcamp and um, they listened in. 
And uh, I think they missed the opportunity to listen in on a conversation like that again, and then and, and sort of wondered well, what happened to this guy. You know, that we were listening <laughs> to him for a number of episodes, and uh, you know, there's got to be another installment. So I think they're asking about that. It's like because um, people like to hear how things have progressed for other people. You know, after a year, year and a half, anybody can do it in a month and a month later. But you always hear about people went off it as if it was something to be on. I see it as something kind of the normal diet, but each to their own. So, but they, that's why they like to listen to your story. So anyways, continue. But that was, um, yeah, there's great, great interest in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, to harp on that a little bit, uh, to give people a better idea of what was happening with me in terms of my health. Um, I, I, I remained incredibly active and I actually became even more so physically active after the fact. Um, I'm not sure if anybody who had listened to those original episodes, uh, I think it should be somewhere in, in like the first 10 to 15 some odd episodes, I believe were our converse, initial conversations, was that I was not doing a whole lot of working out except for maybe jujitsu, maybe once or twice a week at the time. That went up to very quickly being three, four times a week to include an additional two, three days of rock climbing to include at least three or four days of weightlifting. Um, so uh, being able to have all of, the, all of that sweet glycogen store from not being, you know, in, uh, on, a, on a ketogenic diet, it, it felt very beneficial. But, you know, it, the physical aftermath of what I had gone through was really what was killing it for me. And that's actually ultimately what ended up killing my motivation. Mm-hmm. But um, I actually went down in weight, up in muscle mass, uh, up muscle mass, muscle mass uh, throughout that year, and uh, things were actually looking relatively well for me. It wasn't actually until probably March, April, May of last year when I started actually noticing any real decline in terms of uh, my level of uh, physical fitness and uh, my weight and health. So uh, I think uh, we had started in what was it, January, February, the year before that. So I went well over a year and it was in the time after I had left keto and um, uh, that I started noticing, you know, those changes in terms of, you know, focus and irritability, uh, sleeping. These were all things that were, if you remember uh, our previous conversations, those were points that were really, really high hitting for me and noticing those changes were absolutely paramount in me wanting to drive additional success into what it was that I was doing. So, you know, uh, besides being a little fogged by the fact that, you know, I was already in decent shape, I I was relatively athletic and having no issues with any of that, but I had all of those negative, you know, side effects that were creeping back into my life. Mm -hmm. uh, That was really the ultimate deterrent for me to want to stay physically active. I figured, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm over the hump. I, I can never undo what, what's already been done. I, I know too much, quote unquote, I know too much. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the little lies that we tell ourselves that, you know, unravel us like the single thread and sweat, yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, that's, that's more or less where it went. But um, a couple of things that I did notice is that when I stopped the keto lifestyle, it really actually took quite a bit of time to have those changes, those positive changes, like, for example, sleep, focus, uh, for those things to sort of rear their ugly head. And I know that we had this conversation that, you know, the longer that you sustain a ketogenic lifestyle, the longer you'll feel those, uh, those types of benefits uh, if you were to change. 
it, they're, you know, they're slow to come back. It's not like a crash diet where like, you know, within a week, all of a sudden you're a complete wreck. You know, it was, it was nothing like that, which is something that I've experienced many, many times before, especially thinking back to all the times that I would, you know, uh, crash diet and cut weight, you know, back when I wrestled in high school, you know, things would be going good. They'd be going good. All of a sudden, Hey, tournament's coming up. Got to drop 11 pounds. Got to drop 11 pounds in two days, two and a half days, day and a half. And all of a sudden, you know, my, my physical and mental health just took a complete dive bomb. And, you know, all of a sudden these, these things just were just racking me in my, my own little world space, you know, so to speak. I was just sort of having a really difficult time uh, adjusting to it and getting used to it until, you know, I regulated my diet, you know, started really uh, focusing on having a regimented workout schedule rather than working out every day. And then all of a sudden doing, bam, six and a half hours in the gym mm-hmm. right after wrestling practice. And the next day, uh, uh, hour and a half in the steam room then back to the gym to work out, you know, nothing like that, you know, but those were, that was, that was one thing that I actually found kind of surprising because I couldn't, when we had those conversations initially, I couldn't imagine that reality where those things would undo themselves so slowly. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, at what point I would say, Oh, enough is enough. Okay. It's time for me to, you know, get back on the horse, grab this thing by the reins and really get moving. But, uh, but yeah, those were probably some of the more, probably one of the biggest observations that I had made other than, you know, uh, my steady weight gain. I've, I've, I've struggled with my weight for a very, very long time. It was no secret from when I was a little kid that, you know, if I didn't watch myself, I was going to end up being, you know, one of the chubby kids, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like that for actually many people in, in my family and in my extended family. It's probably something that just, you know, gene-wise mm-hmm. is just a part of us. But, you know, I'm a first-generation American. Um, there's definitely something to be said about that. The way my parents ate growing up versus how they ate in America versus how, you know, poor old me, how I ended up eating, you know, as a child and all through uh, my adolescence, you know, it, it wasn't, it shouldn't be much a surprise to really anybody that, you know, my, my weight and my overall health went the, uh, the way that it did. Right. Right. Let me ask you a few questions. I mean, it's funny, as I listen to you talk, we, you and I, have, I've sort of caught you up on everything we're doing. And so I do think about make sense, you know, Caribbean, uh, genetic profile, you know, the SNPs and I, you know what those are that really predisposes mm-hmm. you to be a, a, a store, you know, you store yes. it's, it's, speaks of more indigenous populations, which mm-hmm. I, I see of, of the Dominican and the, the and their genes, the, the Caribs and the other Native Americans there. And so they have that. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the Pacific Islanders are huge for uh, being very heavy and certainly uh, type 2 diabetes, obesity in general, uh, Native Americans likewise. And so I would think that the Caribbeans, those who have those genes would be that way too. Um, so the question I have though, is I'm thinking about data I go, I wonder what his insulin's like. I wonder what his glucose is like. <laughs> you know, I mean, because the norms are, we accept these norms in our families. You know, our, my family is this way. And yeah. when you point out, it's like, all right, so your family, I'm just now projecting. Uh, your mm-hmm. family all right, is running high with, you know, moderately elevated glucose, but extremely elevated insulin, and therefore, therefore, other things. And you go, well, no, that could be addressed. You know, and, you know, it's, I understand the, the, the cultural orientation to that, but there are certain changes that one can make that actually are for a healthier um, 
uh, person to be. But the question I have, I'm peeling back, peeling back, is that when you first went through this, we were all about, you know, glucose uh, readings, ketometer, ketone readings, and that, and of course we measured the, uh, we did the chronometer, and so you had the, the macros you were measuring, the 20 carbs or less per day, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. trying to get there. What do you think of that? You know, where, where is the role of that data and where is the role of other data that you've now been exposed to? Since you're a data guy, I asked that. Yeah, um, that's actually, uh, I'm really glad that you asked that. Um, and what I'm about to say uh, may upset uh, some purists <laughs> out there who uh, are really all about the data. Yeah. But um, this, this particular go around, uh, I have actually opted to not uh, measure anything. I'm not measuring ketones. I'm not measuring glucose. I'm certainly uh, not measuring anything in terms of what I'm doing with food or anything like that. There's a, a couple of reasons for this. Uh, the, well, the first time that I did this, I was hyper focused on all of the numbers. It was really, really important to me uh, that I got compliance right understanding that compliance is typically one of the uh, biggest determining factors of how much success you are uh, really expected to have. Uh, but, you know, because I had unbelievably excellent uh, mentorship in terms of what I should be doing direction-wise and uh, uh, things to look out for, things to consider, what, should I, what I should be expecting, this time I wanted it to be different. About what I was saying about you know being so obsessive as I was over the numbers, um, one thing that I noticed is that it really kind of made me think or it really made me feel like I needed to treat what I was doing as if it was in some way, shape, or form special. And yes, it absolutely is. But uh, there is something that for me personally, uh, because I, I happen to be a, sort of like an, addict, an addictive personality type, um, I didn't want to make this feel like this was going to be something drastic. I mean, the ketogenic lifestyle is relatively simple to follow. Mm -hmm. And once I came to terms with that, which was actually after the fact, after we had done the coaching together, um, I, I realized that I didn't need to be as as anal as I had to be for a couple different reasons. Uh, one, it wasn't necessarily like I was a person who medically needed the ketogenic diet. And uh, I, I felt like I didn't need to put myself through as much scrutiny in terms of what I was doing to ensure that I was able to get success. You know, I, I have all, I've had all of the advantages of understanding what foods will affect my, my, my glucose levels. Um, I, I have a, uh, I had a really solid idea of what foods that I just should be staying away from in general, uh, what foods my body happens to like. And, uh, in terms of, you know, like lifestyle wise, like cooking for myself and, and doing all of these things, uh, I'm more or less falling back into my older routines of what it is that I was doing. So that was one of those things. The other one being that because I had the advantage of going through the coaching group and was able to learn firsthand, uh, one thing that I noticed is that my relationship with food and, and my personal weight has changed a lot. Um, I, uh, my, my health and my weight was something that was almost like a dark cloud that was kind of always looming over. And in one way or another, I would think about it. And I would think about it pretty often, regardless of whether I was working out a lot, if I was trying to eat better, whether or not I was keto at the time. Um, it's just one of those things that I really always thought about. But it wasn't until that, you know, I was able to do something about it, sustain the success, understanding what my limitations were, 
and uh, uh, that that really changed my entire worldview on what that is and what that means to me. And I know that a lot of people are, are very similar to myself uh, when when thinking about that. Where you know it's very possible that even just thinking about it a little bit can easily put you in a depressive uh, state, or you know will put you in a mood, or might make you feel like you know, you, you at some point in your life may have failed yourself, you know, and those are stresses that, you know, are very, very real. And I absolutely empathize, empathize with anybody who is currently struggling with that, has struggled with that in the past, or are only just starting to come to terms with it now. Um, so, you know, uh, not measuring this time around and doing all that is also a byproduct of me understanding that, you know, what the number says on the scale doesn't change how I feel about myself. Right. You know? And you know, that's, that's one of those things that I needed to emphasize for myself. So yep. this is sort of like almost like a, an homage, so to say to, to that, that sentiment. Yeah. Well, you, you've turned it into your own lifestyle. You know, it's, it's like, it's mm. got to work. It's got to, it's got to work. If, uh, if without all this extra technical stuff, if it's really going to be something permanent in your life, some questions I wanted to ask you, uh, about your relationship with food. I like that mm -hmm. expression. You know, what is your relationship or what what do you think about dairy in general for you? I mean, has that become, uh, you know, did you experiment with it? Do you have an opinion about it or is it just not? Because it's all over the place. And uh, in sort of like, we call it keto circles, it's considered like the perfect keto food, especially if it's cheese. It's high fat and protein. Mm -hmm. And there you go. You're good to go. Uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts about dairy? Uh, dairy, uh, okay. Cheese specifically is, oh boy, that stuff is phenomenal, but it's just one of those things that I really just can't indulge in very frequently. Uh, I have to stay away from it from, for the most part. Uh, one thing that I, I noticed, and this was very true, uh, if you were to look at my chronometer, uh, information from, uh, from back in the day, uh, if there was a lot of dairy, there was a lot of stagnation for me. Um, as delicious as it is, um, it's just one of those things that really kind of makes uh, uh, progress for me uh, a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, so even now, uh, going back into it, uh, dairy is very infrequent, if ever. I'll go many days without having any at all. Um, but, you know, uh, every so often, just mostly because this isn't about me restricting my ability to enjoy particular foods and more just this is something that I'm going to try to stick with mostly because it makes me feel better uh, in my day-to-day -day life. Uh, it's something that I'm, I keep to a bare, bare minimum. Um, I'll probably put it in my coffee maybe once, maybe twice a week, maybe. Uh, but that's really the, like the extent that I'll go. Um, fair, um, and if I do use a little, I mean, it's very, very little. I'm talking about maybe like an ounce, ounce and a half ish uh per something if i'm going to be using it to add a little flavor to something but it really isn't something that uh that i indulge in uh quite frequently just because uh, i know that it's problematic for me personally Good. did you know that uh, was that discovered in the process of you originally you know entering into a ketogenic diet Yes, yes, uh, yes, it was. Absolutely. And um, it actually uh, reared its ugly head when I saw the correlation between uh, how much cream I was putting in my coffee, because at the time, I mean, I was drinking between four to 11 cups of coffee a day. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So that's 
you, you think about it, oh, that's not too much. Well, if you're doing, what, two ounces of, of cream in that coffee, well, Jesus, now you're at, oh, what, almost 20 ounces? Yeah. That's, that's quite a serving for anybody in, any, in a 24-hour period of time. So uh, outside of just being able to cut, cut out a lot of caffeine, now I'm, I survive on about a half a cup uh, a day now and feel, interestingly enough, almost exactly the same, plenty of energy uh, as I did when I was having you know, multiple a day. Um, you know, uh, the, the decline or the decrease in the amount of dairy that I was consuming was huge in terms of me being able to experience more uh, personal success. I'm pretty, uh, uh, to be fair, uh, or rather to be honest, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little jealous at all these people that are able to consume as much dairy as they do on you know, their uh, versions of ketogenic lifestyles and just be able to get away with it. That's just like, it feels like highway, highway robbery. <laughs> okay, one other question about foods. I appreciate that. Uh, and it's good to have kind of a, a visceral uh, reaction to dairy without getting into the, the labs and everything else. Where, where do you come down on processed foods? I know it's a big term and uh, we've, we sort of, we didn't really get into it much back in that era, but it, it's now become um, a pretty articulated topic, both in terms of addiction and lack of nutrition and everything else. But uh, before, certainly in the keto world now, you go into even grocery stores, certainly online on Amazon, all these things are now labeled keto, whether they are or not. But mm -hmm. um, you know, these are processed foods. And so what, what are your thoughts? Do you, or do you have a thought? Or was it like, didn't cross your mind or, hmm? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, even, uh, you know, that's something that, that's one of those opinions that once I had initially formed it, I would mostly keep it to myself. <laughs> but um, I, part of the reason is, is that a lot of people, um, and this is even true of people that I have met out in the world that were not that are not a part of the keto naturopath group that may not know about your show, uh, a lot of them don't like to have the food quality discussion. Uh, they 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 just want to talk about their macros and just have that be that. Yeah. And I absolutely subscribe to the opinion that you know, uh, if you're going to be if you want if you want to have if you're trying to emulate or live a healthy lifestyle, it's really, really important that you kind of mind your P's and Q's everywhere because everything matters, especially if you are, um, I, I hate to say the word limiting, but when you're pulling from a, uh, a, a less robust uh, source of foods that you can eat that are fueling you and are driving you towards your personal success, towards your goals, I feel like talking about processed foods is really, really important. And the reason why I feel that is because, you know, um, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was, uh, Dr. Joan Ifland, uh, who you had on the show, uh, she was talking about, uh, you know, processed food addiction. And one of the things that I find that I found interesting is that she had, uh, made a mention about, you know, that if you ate strictly a whole foods diet, that and you are a person that you know are struggling with health in any way, shape, or form. That you should see some form of success or a positive change in your life, and you know that's one of those things that I I've held on to very very dearly because ultimately, uh, I I subscribe to a similar opinion. Uh, I feel like traditionally the ketogenic diet was meant to be a whole food diet, and if you are I don't want to say, I, I'm trying to be really careful with the vocabulary that I use here. If you're tiptoeing around uh, particular things by, you know, doing things like, uh, let's say you're, you're a person who buys the keto brick 
for example, which is one of those processed keto uh, prepackaged uh, foods. Uh, I, I feel like that's where things start to get a little bit dicey in terms of, you know, what it is that you're actually consuming and how that's going to affect you. Um, I try my very best to stay away from any and all processed foods. Uh, I don't feel like processed foods uh, in any, uh, in any uh, shade, form, or flavor really have any real purpose being uh, a part of a ketogenic lifestyle. Because like I said before, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the ketogenic lifestyle is it should be centered or uh, uh, be uh, whole foods centric, uh, more or less, mm-hmm. just across the board. When uh, when Joan Iflin, Dr. Iflin, was on, was that sort of a, a verification of beliefs that you had had, or was there some sort of uh, new presentation in that? You go, you know, this is much more serious than I thought it was. I had a hunch this was true, but she just said it is true. So therefore, um, I think I'm going to take this more seriously. Was it something like that, or...? Uh, yeah, definitely. Mostly, uh, I, I know that um, we had had a little bit of discussion in terms of food quality um, uh, when we had those discussions together. And I know that you've touched on it uh, at least more than a handful of times in previous episodes. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I, I find really interesting is that, you know, if you're going to be somebody who's trying to have a healthier form of yourself, why would you put yourself in a position where you would have a lesser quality of anything? Because it's very rare. I've never, I've never noticed any example in the real world where a processed food, food nutritionally could be better in any case than whole food that would replace whatever nutrients, macronutrients, or nutrition that you're actually getting from that. So that's a, that's a great, Absolutely. You can build a life on that. Yeah. And, and so, and so what I like to think, what I like to think about in, in terms of that is, well, you know, one of the, one of the interesting benefits that I feel like people don't really discuss very often in terms of a ketogenic lifestyle is that it is pretty, it is legitimately cheap. Uh, I don't want to say cheaper, less expensive to live a ketogenic lifestyle in terms of uh, doing your food shopping. So if you are going to be uh, making those savings every week, you can reinvest a little bit, just a little bit more, and actually just buy higher quality food right. if, if you're able to do that. Um, you know, I've been on both sides of that fence where I was following a ketogenic lifestyle and I simply could not afford to do so. And then uh, I've been on the side of it where, you know, I was able to very easily reinvest. And yes, I had success both ways, but I will say, you know, that, that fancy thick cut bacon that I'm able to get from the butcher shop does actually taste a whole lot better mm-hmm. than what I was getting at the store. Yeah. And you know, those, those little, those little uh, changes, although they might seem small, that's absolutely a quality of life improvement. Uh, when, when I look at it, especially when like me, like I, I like to consider myself a little bit of a foodie. I'm very particular about what it is that I eat and I make sure everything that I eat tastes good. Uh, there isn't a single time where I'll get in the kitchen and I'll be like, Oh, well I have to make this again. It's never like that. It's always like, Oh man, I can't wait to be done so I can eat. This is going to be awesome. And I'm always feeling good about it. And when I make those little, those little adjustments, you know, like when I'm able to get like, you know, that, that real fancy bacon, or if I'm able to, uh, you know, spend a little bit more, um, hey, all of a sudden my food's coming out tasting a little bit better. Maybe I'm trying something new, new experiences. I, always, I love it. It's the best. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I have a, a hard question for you coming from New Jersey. And I think it was a comment that you, you certainly have told me. I can't remember if it was on the program or not. What do you do about pizza? 
<laughs> oh man. So uh pizza's a funny one for me. Um uh, I'm really fortunate that uh I live close enough to a Trader Joe's where I can get uh cauliflower pizza crust. Um but uh pizza I don't miss it. I don't miss it. I I know that I really struggled with it very very much um uh, my first go around with this but um you know, I have been so absolutely spoiled with pizza my entire life living in New York City and New Jersey. So uh, I, I've been around. I've been around the block a few times. You know, I can I can make my way around a pie. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, for those particular cravings, um, my my new my new favorite is um, uh, thinly slicing and hammering out some chicken breast. Nice. And, and making uh, making a pizza on that in the event that I want a pizza, just because the tomato sauce isn't really the best for me, uh, and the cheese is uh, really not the best for me, but I mean, for once in a blue moon, it really does the job. Yeah. Man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> that's true. And that's a big leg up. Those are, you know, it's like, and that's really the bigger picture. I mean, you've chosen to make this, you know, a, a non-rigid lifestyle and yet you learned, picked up the important lessons. And so when you find how you can modify your foods and not give up on taste, and I think that's a big fear of a lot of people. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's kind of like one of those things. Um, oh, huh. So I, I like to compare that particular aspect about people being concerned about the taste of their food and everything. Um, I, I have a little analogy that I like to make. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever had uh, chicken wings before, Carl? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, are you uh, a drum guy or a flat guy? Uh, a drum guy. You're a drum guy. Okay. So... Uh, I, I'm, I really hope I'm, I'm not offending you by saying this, but <laughs> I, I've noticed a very high correlation, and this is just through my own asking people uh, through the years that I've uh, noticed this, but there's a high correlation, or at least it seems like a high correlation, between people who prefer drums over flats and those same people not knowing how to properly eat a flat. You know, breaking both the bones uh, on either side removing the bones from the piece of meat so you're just left with this beautiful morsel of fatty chicken goodness yeah. uh, there in your hand. Um, uh, I've noticed a lot of the same with people that tell me uh, similar things. And uh, I'll always ask them the same questions. Well, you know, how frequently do you cook for yourself? Yeah. Oh, well, not very often. And that seems, for me, it, it appears to be that that's sort of like one of those uh, self-limitating uh, 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 self, uh, self factors. It could be. Where, it could be. Of course, I have to go in the context. I'm always out, you know, having this with Judy. So she gets part, I usually get the whole thing and she has some small portion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but um, but no, that's uh, that's one of those things that uh, that I have noticed. So in a lot of those cases, I just tell people like, hey, you know, if you don't cook for yourself very often, and you feel like you're, you, I mean, you're having a discussion with me, and it's if it's with me, it's usually about keto. Um, that means that you're concerned for your health. Well, if you don't want to do keto, that's fine, but think about cooking for yourself more mm -hmm. because if you cook for yourself. You're at least giving yourself the opportunity to make some better decisions. And over the course of time, and it really doesn't take that much time at all. If you don't feel like you're the strongest cook, and if you feel like your food isn't the most appetizing, you can actually go through the process of making that that way. Now me, I prefer to cook for myself than to eat other, other people's cooking. Mm -hmm. Unless of course it's my mom or dad's because both of them are absolute knockout chefs. So, <laughs> Hey, uh, I'll give it to them every day of the week, but you know, uh, it's just one of those things that I, I try to ask people to, to be a little bit, a little conscious about because, you know, I would really hate 
for the circumstance to be that the way somebody feels about how they cook uh, or the, 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 their ability to cook uh, being a self-limiting factor in terms of them being able to get on the right track in terms of getting on top of their health. And that's, that. that's, that's, something that's such that, a big deal. And that mm-hmm. does speak to lifestyle. It does speak to one's uh, self-concept of how valuable their health is. I wanted to ask mm-hmm. another question too. And um, I thought we'd probably wrap up and then consider uh, subsequent uh, topics for a, another podcast. But mm-hmm. what, you know, back to the Joan Iflin, she brought up a couple points, you know, certainly about the whole mm-hmm. foods. And it, that's clearly been something naturopathic for a long time. However, she brought up something far deeper in my mind uh, in her discussion, and she represents uh, something that I hadn't thought about really at all, and I've now gone much more deeply in understanding, and that's about addiction. Uh, addiction, of course, in, in, her, her, in her subject matter, and she is the specialist in the United States anyway, of fast mm-hmm. food, processed food, addiction. And what's your thought about just addiction, and food-oriented issues, addiction in general, because I find, let me, one little more parenthetical comment is uh, in the groups now that we go through, I realize this is something I need to bring into people. You're saying, you know, you really have to be self-concerned what are you addicted to? And I'm not passing judgment, but, you know, if they can get some consciousness, and this is what you've just finished talking about, is consciousness about your choices. Not everybody can get to consciousness about their choices. Mm -hmm. And so if you can map it out for them about why that is, you know, in the, in the addiction and so on, I find that somewhat helpful. And then you can point to lab tests. And so they go, Oh, wow, I guess I am addicted. But where do you fall on that? What, how is that word resonated with you? Is it kind of a little bit too academic or is it like, Oh no, I felt, I felt something. (laughs) Oh, um, I can say with absolute certainty after facing it firsthand, uh, before and after I had fallen out of uh, uh, my lifestyle in terms of keto was that I was absolutely 110% addicted to particular foods. Um, a lot of it actually stemmed from sugar. Big surprise. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's this is one of those things where, you know, the, I, I say this quite a bit and I've said this quite a bit uh, since the initial episodes we had done together a couple of years ago your relationship with food is more or less exactly that. And I feel like a lot of the reasons why I had such a difficult time was because I didn't want to give up the things in my life that brought me joy and happiness. And I would be lying to you if I said that the Dunkin' Donuts apple crumb donut uh, is an absolute pitfall of mine. That thing is crazy delicious for all of the wrong reasons. And I mean, all of a sudden there I was literally every single day without fail going directly, wake up in the morning, get in my car, drive directly to Dunkin' Donuts, get my light and sweet coffee with my apple crumb donut. And I did it every day, just overloading my system immediately with a whole bunch of sugar, get my energy level super, super up. By the time I started my workday, I was crashing, thinking about the next meal I was going to have, thinking about my next coffee. If there was uh, donuts, cookies, anything at the office, oh, hey, yeah, sure. I'll have one. It's one. Sure. It's it's the more, uh, it's the, I don't care. It's the morning. Let's go ahead. Let's do it anyway. Just completely without it just knee-jerk reaction not thinking twice about it like it was just the norm for me until you know i decided that okay no this actually is a problem and it, interestingly enough that episode with uh, joan iflin popped up and i'm just like oh hey look it's me again <laughs> me again the guy who's addicted to, to food but those little changes that i i had said you know 
taking more control over what it is that you're putting into your body, taking more control over who's making your meals and what's going into those meals is a fantastic first step. Um, I mean, for example, if you're the type of person that goes out and you buy a box of Entenmann's cookies every day, I'm sure you would feel a little bit differently about how you would be consuming your cookies if you were the person who were baking your own cookies. Mm. If, you were, if you went ahead and you took that one extra step, I think you would notice a mild change in terms of how often you would have them, how many you would have. And that's one small, really insignificant change that actually will uh, in, in the grand scheme of things that will actually slowly start to shape how it is that you feel and think about food. You know, it, granted, you know, nobody here, uh, you know, listening to this unless you're completely far and away from the keto lifestyle is sitting around baking cookies every day. Mm -hmm. But it's just something to think about. You know, if you had to go and do the work, you're going to think about it and treat it differently. You know, it, it's just the way it is just through, through practice. You know, we're, we're, we're creatures of habit. And if our habit is, oh, it's easy, we can just grab it. We can just pay X for it. Okay, fine. There was no time investment there. You were already at the grocery store. You know, you just happened to walk by the Girl Scout over there peddling her Thin Mints. You know, it, it, it's simple, it's easy, and it's mindless. And because there's a mindless nature to it, it's very easy to fall into it and succumb to all of those cravings whenever they pop up. I forgot, um, I forgot which episode it was. I don't know if it was one that you had done on your own or if it was one that was in an interview, but you were talking about how, um, oh, geez, what was it? Uh, we're talking about cookies now. Oh, it escapes me right now. Hold on, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it's okay, that's okay. While, while you're thinking, while you're trying to dredge that up your your uh, memory, what are your thoughts about fat and what are your thoughts about alcohol in this new lifestyle that you have? We'll call it a keto-based lifestyle that you've, you're now bringing yourself back into? Well, um, I've actually not have a single sip. I've not had a single sip of alcohol since my current iteration of keto. And part of the reason of that was because I noticed very quickly uh, in my first go around that uh, I am like the most absolute lightweight of lightweights. I, my friends will, will invite me out for a couple of drinks. You know, uh, they'll buy me one drink and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, I should probably start slowing down. I think I'm good, <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, one of those things, it's just one of those things that doesn't really bring me any real joy or happiness or anything like that outside of uh, maybe maybe a headache uh, the next day or noticing that when I was measuring that, you know, my ketone numbers weren't the tightest uh, at that particular point in time. But um, alcohol doesn't really have much of a place in my life anymore. Um, I will if it's like a, a celebration or something like that, but I, I keep it pretty much predominantly just gin, um, very, uh, very dry reds, but that's you know, very once in the blue moon type of thing. If I am having a gin drink, it is always gin and club soda. Uh, that is that is my has and will forever be my forte from this point point on. I don't really see any reason to change that. Um, but no, uh, alcohol doesn't really have much of a place in terms of my diet. Although I remember the first time around, one of the things that I struggled with was, you know, I mean, geez, I was 28 years old. You know, all of my friends were in their 20s. And uh, a lot of my friends hang out at the same bar. The guy who owns it is a very good buddy of mine. So very easily to, to find myself in that scene among those people. And, you know, uh, I just couldn't really hang. Now I'm just the guy at the bar who drinks water or club soda. 
and uh, you know, I just enjoy my nice conversations. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. What are you? Where are you about fat? You know, the, initially everybody goes fat. Oh my gosh, I don't think I can do this, and then that concern kind of disappears. And I mean, I, what's your what's your oppression? impression oh man fat is uh fat is probably one of the most beautiful things uh, <laughs> on this planet man let me tell you it's it's delicious uh when you find it naturally in foods it just oh man it just makes everything better uh a nice a nice marbled cut of steak uh a nice pork rib with a, ooh, a nice pork rib with some fat on it oh buddy let me tell you that's uh all, all day and and me you know i go the extra mile i'm breaking that bone open i'm getting to the marrow you know i'm, I'm really i'm really enjoying it but no i, I honestly I, I really feel like fat makes food just taste better uh i don't know i don't know any dish that i've had leaving keto that tasted as good without the fat or as much fat in it as uh, i have now so I, I think it's actually become a preference of mine to just have fat of your foods so i mean hey uh, I feel like I'm on the winning side here. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So uh, you kind of implied this, but I'll ask, you know, in this, and for myself as well, this whole sort of evolution of what is keto and it's still being defined and there's not like tomes of research on it. So it's still a lot of on the anecdotal phase and then some studies coming out, of course. Um, but what's your thoughts about what we think carnivorous, that is being a primarily a, a, a meat eater, you know, meat, fish, poultry, and so on in that sense? being primarily a meat eater um i mean so i i guess i would consider myself uh in the perspective of many i would be considered primarily a meat eater uh they're not really seeing exactly how much fat goes into my food so that's is the general impression when people hear about what foods i eat most of the time but um because i don't really have any real experience outside of Simply put, not having the time to get to the grocery store to buy uh, mayo. Um, I actually had given away uh, my MCT oil to a friend of mine who went on the keto journey himself, him and his wife, who collectively have lost, I think, 58 pounds together. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, I actually gifted them uh, my MCT oil, which, I mean, as frequently as I used it, I still had about half a bottle of it left. Uh, which was actually really awesome. So they were able to get plenty out of it themselves. And I actually also donated uh, my Keto Mojo to them as well uh, for, for them to use. Um, uh, after having a couple discussions with them, I, I realized that they would benefit from it much more than I would and uh, felt like it would help put, point them in the right direction. And it actually has really opened their eyes quite a bit. So I'm glad that I did that. Um, but the only times uh, that I've actually gone full meat eater were literally those cases, which is only a couple times, um, which means that I probably went maybe three or four days strictly carnivore uh, with very, very little fat uh, at all outside of what was actually in the cuts of meat that I was eating. Uh, uh, that's something that I'm, I'm really interested in. Um, and I, I actually would be really open to experimenting with it uh, now. Uh, what I would like to do uh, going into an experiment with that would be to just record a little bit, maybe for a couple of weeks, what it is that I'm eating and uh, monitoring my weight, uh, getting some numbers there. And then um, just seeing what the subsequent two, three weeks, maybe even a month of strictly carnivore would actually uh, turn into for me. That would be a really interesting idea, Brian. Um, and maybe we could throw in some uh, cheap blood work there too, just mm. a few labs to sort of set the stage, nothing sort of exuberant and um, the ones that we could do it before and after. So. Uh, that would be fun. That would be fun to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let, let me bring this chapter to a close. 
and mm -hmm. knowing that it's going to lead to other chapters like even next week and the proposal you just made i think is brilliant and i think a lot of people would like to to follow that you know it would be an end of one uh with good discussion to come so um yeah i'm excited it sounds I, I'm, I'm actually really interested myself so it sounds like you're re-endorsing what we're going to call like, like low carb high fat ketogenic diet in a kind of a revival mode for you is that correct uh, uh yes yes although i will say that even in my time when i had chosen to no longer follow a keto lifestyle, I was still absolutely 110% an advocate for it in almost every use case that was ever presented to me uh, that could have, uh, that could have uh, applied it. And part of the reason for that was because my reasons, part of my reasons for not being uh, or not following the keto lifestyle were all, uh, were all circumstantially dependent. You know, it was it was things that were happening. It was experiences that I was happening between, uh, you know, uh, what was happening with me on the mats when I trained jujitsu, when I was up on the rock wall, and uh, when I was in the gym lifting weights. And um, I thought that, you know, uh, I thought that size was important to me. It turns out that it wasn't because I climbed much better when I was at lower muscle mass. I performed much better uh, when I was uh, when I was not focusing on building mass uh, in jujitsu and. Um, uh, What's funny is that my ability to do longer sessions in the gym uh, were much better for me on keto than they were without it. All of a sudden, I was going to a more uh, min-max style in the gym, uh, meaning that I would be doing much less time on individual uh, uh, equipments, doing individual exercises, um, versus me being able to do total body workouts for 90 minutes at a time, really trying to hit, get every little minutia in, in my two days a week that I was choosing to go to the gym. Yeah. Well, nice, nice. That's a good summary thought. Okay. Let's park it there and saying we will continue this conversation more than likely next week. And a few other topics are going to call out and uh, set the basis for that, uh, that project. I think that's great. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. Till next time, Brian, let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So uh, please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email, and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer, and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in. And I think that might have been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody, any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when history and evolution, and epilepsy and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, such as schizophrenia or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. 
And also just for people and losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto. And so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of, at least that's what I think I'm doing, is exploring the world of why are there other factors? And so in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results, and we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief, and these are the things that I've discovered, and I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you. 